back and thank you very much for listening and staying with us. We've been speaking about uh, the holy souls, about purgatory, uh, how we haven't since the beginning of the church always seen it as a preparation to share and see in the face of God. God uh, cannot, in a sense, overlook the, the material side of the world. It happened. Bad things happened. And these things must be burnt out. They must be ironed out. And so purgatory is that uh, state in which uh, Jesus purifies us as he presents us to the Father. We must not be afraid. All is love. God is love. And so uh, continue to have trust above all in his forgiveness. And once you are leaning towards God, once you would like to be good, that's all, uh, then you will be, uh, you'll be with the Lord. Uh, so now, uh, just to continue a little bit more about purgatory, people will say, like Catholics, you talk about purgatory, but that word is not in the Bible. The word purgatory is not in the Bible. So therefore, can this place be true? Well, that's correct. The word purgatory is not in the Bible, but neither is the word trinity in the Bible. And, you know, trinity is what God is. God is the holy trinity. That word trinity is not in the Bible. But the Father, uh, you know, we meet God the Father in the Bible, we meet Jesus the Son, and we meet the Holy Spirit. So we meet the trinity, but they're not called trinity in the Bible. It's a word that theology puts on the unity of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, the word, the Mass, that we celebrate every Sunday. The Mass, the word Mass is not in the Bible, but the word breaking of bread or the Eucharistic celebration, those words are in the Bible, and they're the same, synonymous with Mass. Incarnation, that, you know, then Jesus became a human being using the word incarnation, that word is not there in the Bible, but it is. it, it explains uh, what we truly believe. So, other people will say, look, why purgatory? You know, is not the death of Jesus enough? Hasn't that wiped away all sins and everything else? That is correct. It is true. The death of Jesus is enough. But purgatory then is how the salvation of Jesus happens. Jesus has died for us. And through his grace, while we're alive, when we respond to him, he, uh, we, 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 we become, as it were, part of the body of Christ. His grace fills us. We're in love with him. We belong to him. Uh, and that is how salvation takes hold of us while we're living. And in death, uh, it is through purgatory that the sal- this is how the salvation of Jesus uh, transforms us and makes it happen. You know, because you take it, uh, even Moses, who struck the rock twice, was forgiven by God. But he did not see the promised land because uh, of that failure. So now, so we can say, if we die, uh, yet, you know, when we die deep in the bondage, in the slavery of sin, or crippled by sin's effects, we must be forgiven and renewed before we can see God's face. You know, even Isaiah chapter 6 speaks about the vision of God. He says, when he saw God, Isaiah the prophet said, chapter 6, Woe is me! How terrible it is uh, to be me! Uh, I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. And then a seraph flew, an angel flew, with live coal and touched my mouth, 
and said, your guilt is taken away, and, and, and so on. So therefore, there is a need for purification to be with God. We read in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 32, uh, it implies this passage in Matthew, chapter 12, Matthew 12, verse 32, it implies that sin can be forgiven after death. For it says, you know, Jesus said, those who commit sins speak against the Son of Man. Their sins can be forgiven. But those who sin against the Holy Spirit, uh, he says, their sin will not, will not be forgiven either in this world or in the age to come. So that implies that sin can be forgiven, you know, when we come before God in the world to come, even though we have made our choice. Uh, in the first letter of St. Peter, chapter 3, verse 18, we read, Christ died for our sins. Uh, and then, having died for our sins and rose, Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison, who had disobeyed. So Jesus, after he rose from the dead, St. Peter tells us, he went to the spirits in prison who had disobeyed. So there is a, you know, a possibility that this is purgatory. And we remember in the book of Maccabees, which is not in certain Bibles, but is uh, in our Bible, uh, the book and was always accepted back to the time of Jesus as part of the Word of God, uh, we find Judas Maccabeus offering sa uh, sacrifice for the dead who had died in sin because they were carrying idols on their bodies. Now, all the fathers of the church, or almost all of them from the beginning, beginning speak about uh, life after death. Um, now, uh, the Catholic Catechism speaking about purgatory, it says, all who die in God's grace and friendship, uh, but still imperfect, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. So we go maybe in the middle of life, in a car accident, without preparation. Uh, we have sins. But, you know, we would look towards God, love to be with him. People who died in that frame, we should not... We should not be worried about uh, our eternal salvation. Uh, after that, we undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. So let us say, you know, you go to sleep and you die during the night. You haven't said any prayers and you haven't been to confession and so on. But you are a person who hope in Jesus, who would love to be good to, love to, be good to your neighbor and to be able to forgive them. Do not worry if you die or if your son or friend or husband dies like that because once they, went, once they died in God's grace and friendship, even though they are you know, obsessed by certain sins or downcast with certain uh, compromises in their lives, they will, uh, you know, they are assured of their eternal salvation. Now, uh, the, the Catechism says the Ch Catholic Church gives the name purgatory uh, to this final purification of the elect, those who have who will be with God forever in heaven, uh, they are purified. And that purification, 
is not so much a place, not so much a time, but the purification of allowing us to see God and to allow the evil that obscures our vision of God and that cripples our lives and that is obsession with us, that state is called purgatory. Uh, and it is entirely different from anything to do with hell. And so um, the church, you know, formulated her doctrine over the years and it says, as for certain lesser, lesser faults, we must believe that before the final judgment, there is a purifi purification. He who is truth, Jesus, says that whoever utters blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will be pardoned neither in this age nor in the age to come. From this sentence, we understand that certain offenses can be forgiven in this age, but certain others in the age to come. And so let us, therefore, uh, the teaching then is based on the practice of prayer for the dead mentioned, as I say, in Judas Maccabeus. And from the beginning of the church, the church has honored the memory of the dead and offered prayers in suffrage for them, above all the Eucharistic sacrifice, so that they may be purified and that they may attend the beautiful vision of God. So let us do that, because as I said uh, last week, you know, in the uh, the bishops at Vatican Council said, for all who belong to Christ, form one church and cleave or hold on to him together. And they said, and go on to say that the union of the wayfarer, that's you and me, we are, we are the pilgrims, the wayfarers, people still traveling on the road. The union of the pilgrims with those who have died that is, those who are asleep in Christ, is not in the least interrupted. Now, that's a huge statement to say. You know, there you are. You're remembering people you love who are dead and what the church is saying to you. Those who are um, ourselves, here we are in this world. We are still, through Jesus, united with those who have died and whom we have loved. Uh, it says, like, um, uh, the, the, the union between us has not been interrupted. It says, on the contrary, according to the eternal faith of the church, our union with those who have died and who are in Christ now is strengthened through the exchange of spiritual goods. Spiritual goods means not money, but prayers and sacrifices and penances. How beautiful it is in Africa that people love to be at funerals, to visit the graves and to care for the graves. This is beautiful and we must encourage it. We must teach the young and bring them very close to those who have passed away, you know. Uh, uh, and so, you know, we, we do express that through our vestments. We may, or may be black at a funeral or white. It's up to the priest himself. Indulgences, we can offer indulgences for them. You know, indulgence grew up in this way. In the very early church, the church was very strict about very serious sins. For example, adultery which broke up a good and beautiful family. Murder, obviously. Uh, again, uh, you know, public uh, re renouncing of our faith, you know, uh, turning from our faith. These great sins. 
uh, these were involved, judgment was made because they were they had to be grave sins, they had to be public sins, they have they had disgraced the name of the church and the Christian people before the world. Then action had to be taken by the church. These people were excommunicated. Uh, and uh, sometimes they were excommunicated for a period of time, maybe seven or ten years. Now, maybe later on that person converts and wants to come back. That person has to wait for maybe ten years. So that person does many good things, caring for the poor, uh, praying, you know, undoing the evil they have done, you know, doing beautiful things for God and for the community, then the church may give him an indulgence, that is, a reduction of sentence, as we would say in our penal service. In other words, maybe five years um, uh, indulgence because that person uh, was, uh, you know, showed real repentance and came back. That's how indulgence grew, grew up. You know, in the... Uh, uh, the old Greek word for a, uh, for a uh, place of burial was a necropolis, that is the city of the dead. Now for Christians it's called a cemetery, that is a place where people sleep. So then uh, let us um, uh, continue then to have trust above all in the goodness of God. Remember, I always love the words of Job. You know, in Job chapter 19, if you read that, I, I find a lovely passage there. Job, of course, who suffered so much, he says, I know, Job says, my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. And after my death, yet in my own flesh, in my own body, I will see God. I myself will see him. How my heart yearns, longs within me to see God. Isn't that beautiful? So therefore, belief then in a process of purification after death has continued to mature. Emphasis no longer on a physical agent, for example, fire of purgation or punishment, or on a particular physical place and time. Theology today considers purgatory as a positive process after death by which persons come to a perfect understanding of self and relinquish, relinquish all self-centeredness. To remember the dead and to pray for them is still an important traditions. And these prayers, remember them, are still related to oneself in the mystery of the communion of saints. And so we listen now that the tattoo is going to play the next hymn for us, that great man, Going Home by Paul Robeson. That was the unmistakable voice of Paul Robeson, Going Home. And that is what we're all ultimately doing. Now, we are following through on spirituality. We've spoken about many things, and last week we spent a lot of time on the subject of prayer. And today I want to say a little about staying in touch with God, how to stay in touch with God. Because you know the way we are. We pray on a Sunday and that's the end of God until the following Sunday. Or maybe we pray early in the morning and we forget God for the rest of the day. So what can help us to stay in touch with God? You know, there's so many 
uh, over 2,000 years, we Catholics have had built up a whole lot of customs and traditions that help us, in other words, to keep coming back to God. And these we must not lose because in doing so, we're losing our identity. You know, when we were young, uh, people always spoke about fish on a Friday. And we laugh at it a bit now, but it hasn't gone out in a sense. Okay, it's not a commandment anymore, but it is certainly an advice. It is certainly a wish of the church that we have something like that, that we do something on Friday as we remember the day in which Jesus died. And, uh, uh, you know, and really we were defined. Everybody knew that Catholics did not eat uh, meat on a Friday. We had fish on a Friday. And in a way, okay, in a way you can say it's a harmless thing, but it is a very real thing, a very concrete thing. And it made us realize who we were and gave us a, a little, it built up something of a little identity with thousands of other devotions and practices and saints and crosses and pictures and statues, all those things that helped us to stay in contact with God, just as the photographs in the home, just the little customs we have in each family make us, bond us together as being one. And we have to ask ourselves, you know, in the hectic excitement of the modern world, are we losing our identity so that we're just uh, so so we have no real meaning or we don't mean anything to ourselves. Uh, I remember hearing a story of a man who in his youth because he fell out or had a row or fight or something with his family just went off and left them never to come home or make contact with them again. They never were to see him again. He went to another country and there he lived a single life there looking after himself with work and so on. He lived in a flat, relatively lonely life and uh, towards the end of his life he was you know, not a very old man, but he was in his early 50s and he was dying. And some of the people in the neighboring flats were kind people. They knew this man. They lived beside him for a long time. And they always wondered where he came from and who he was. And did he have any relatives? He seemed to have no family. And when he was removed to hospital, they... Uh, went into his flat and they began to find are there any addresses, any contacts, any phone numbers that we can get in contact with his people in another country. <laughs> Sorry, eventually, I think some of you, the older people, will remember. You rem used to remember we used to have a little red light, like a sarcasty lamp, burning in our homes before the consecration picture to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And on that consecration picture were the father and mother of the house and the children as they come, one after the other, consecrated to the Heart of Jesus. And at the end of one of the drawers, the only thing of any religious nature that found in this man's house was this a faded picture of the Sacred Heart with his family name on it and the names of the children and where they lived. And so they made contact with his family in that other country and they told them that their brother was here. The family were amazed. They hadn't heard from him for 40 years. And so they came and were allowed around his bed 
when just before he died, he was reunited because of that devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus that somehow tied him to a family and made him belong to a family. And so I'm talking a little bit about uh, simple devotions and practices which help, which define us as Catholics, and we must be careful not to lose. Obviously, the great things that define us as Catholics are are, are, are baptism and the word of God. These are the important things. Mass, of course. Love of neighbor. Care for the poor. There are the rosary. So many things define us as Catholics. But today I'm speaking about personal, simple, popular devotions which keep us in touch with God uh, and, 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 uh, and be at home with God in our personal lives. Sacramentals, if you like, we often call them sacraments. We know the seven sacraments. They are an immediate meeting with Jesus. Sacramentals are objects and blessings and pictures and medals and pilgrimages and uniforms, uh, fish on a Friday and so on, uh, which, you know, uh, 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 which remind us uh, and have a meaning in themselves. And when they have a meaning and when we practice them, they do keep us in touch with God. But are we losing contact? You know, after the 1960s and that, a lot of the great old devotions and traditions were simply pushed aside. Um, so, and what we have to ask ourselves, what are we giving our children as humble, simple signs of our belief and our faith and of our identity. You know, this is uh, something, I remember people coming to me and saying that we never ring the bell anymore for an Angelus. There's so many things we don't do anymore. Many parishes that don't even have benediction. They don't have the common rosary in homes. There's no family prayer. You know, so if we lose these, you know, they're not the most important thing in the world, each one individually, but if if we lose them, we can lose our whole identity and our faith. Remember chapter 28 of the book of Genesis. There you find Jacob. Jacob is in a new land and he's searching and going from place to place. And one night, chapter 28 of the book of Genesis, Jacob lies down to sleep and he takes a stone and uses it as a pillar for his head and he sleeps. And during the night, he has that marvelous dream uh, of a ladder going up from that place up to heaven and a dream of angels going up and down the ladder, some going up and then some coming down. And in the morning he wakes up, he says, hey, I never knew this was a holy place. And so he takes that stone and he pours oil on it and he sets it up as a memorial and as of a monument. And he calls the place Bethel. Beth meaning bread and El meaning God. Bethel, the house of God. Now, uh, religious traditions, simple religious traditions, are like memorial stones which mark a particular place, a particular moment in time, a moment when a human person feels close to God. That is, places and times like Lent and Advent, Advent coming up soon, prayers or rituals, special foods, fasting, colors that we wear in mass, incense, candles, uh, vestments, medals, uniforms, all these 
are reminders and they are very important in building up our sense of faith. And we Catholics have always understood that the material can carry spiritual value. God himself saw that and he wanted Israel to have a temple, to have a tent in the desert which would designate his presence among them. The temple had to be built in Jerusalem, a material thing that would remind people of God. The Sabbath day was set aside. It was just a day like any other day, but this day was a special day to remind us of God. And so today, in a world of advertisements, TV, social media, sport, popular culture and fashion, where is their place for these things of God? Let us listen now for our next piece of music, which is Lengeloi Lamorena, the angel of the Lord by Master Cilia St. Paul. Yes, welcome back. It is 20 minutes past five in the afternoon. Thank you for staying with me. We have been reflecting on things like purgatory, and I've been speaking about the importance of of popular piety, popular devotion, popular prayer, the simple things that, you know, that express the inner devotion we have to the things of God, that keep us in touch with God. They may be in themselves simple things, little things, but they can be very important for our own attachment to God. They come out of our own experience. They come out of the experience of our families, of our church, of the things we do together, of something we learned as children. It is these that keep us uh, bound to God. Let us not lose them in these times of advertisements and noise and general frenetic activity. You know, uh, uh, you know, when St. Patrick went around in Ireland in the 5th century, uh, there were no churches, obviously, and there weren't for many years after that, but he would leave a bell uh, in a particular place. And that bell, a small little bell, would be the means of calling a community together. So a bell like that, it's a little thing, it's a simple thing, but it brings people together. We don't seem to ring Angelus bells anymore. The Angelus really is the, the the midday prayer of the poor. It contains, like the midday prayer of the priest or of the religious, uh, three Hail Marys, just like three Psalms, with uh, 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 invitatories before and after in, uh, in them, and a prayer at the very end. Um, so I say to you, perhaps think about little things you can do in order to make uh, the, the prayer, you know, our, our Catholic life more visible and more felt by our Christians. You know, St. Trees of Avila lived a rather mediocre life until she was about 40. And one day going up the stairs, she saw a very realistic painting of Jesus crucified. And it really struck her in the heart, as it were. Uh, she just looked at Jesus and saw him almost for the first time. And from there on, she began a life of great holiness and became the doctor of prayer, the teacher of the world. St. Teresa of Lisieux had a, saw a picture, a simple picture of Jesus again crucified and his blood dripping down to the ground. And it inspired her to collect, as it were, the blood of Christ, the grace of Christ, the holiness of Christ, and to try and spread it all over the world, bring that into the lives of so many. So a picture can be something that turns your mind to God. Also, uh, why not now, this time of the year, uh, buy a, a Christian 
calendar starting now in Advent. Uh, the calendars will be for sale coming from the Comboni missionaries or for the PMS, Father Gordon Reese. Uh, beautiful calendars. The beauty of them is that they contain religious themes for each month, but also uh, some instruction. But each day, every day of the year, we Catholics have readings. Uh, two and the weekdays and three readings out of the Bible every single day of the year. And you can, as it were, even though you cannot go to church uh, in the morning or late in the evening, you can open your Bible and read with the church uh, what uh, uh, from Scripture that we're taking for that particular day. And, you know, I, I'm just talking about uh, different, different things. I remember when I was bishop in Coxstad, uh, we decided as, with the young people to walk a three-day journey journey to the Kevlar, beautiful pilgrimage place in Marion Hill Diocese, three days walking, walking along, praying the rosary, singing hymns, being silent for a while, uh, you know, as young people filled with joy, uh, stopping at the various missions uh, like Sentecau and, and, and Mahobe, and then finally reaching um, uh, Kevlar and praying together. Those three days of pilgrimage bound us together, bonded us together. We never forget those moments of prayer and of special devotion. Uh, Saint, uh, Pope Francis rather uh, emphasizes very much, being a man who's very close to the people, uh, he sees the tremendous importance of popular devotion and devotions. And I just want to emphasize that. I'm not saying they're the most important. We have the sacraments. We have the Word of God. We're called to charity. We're called to work for justice. These are the great elements of serving God. But there's a thousand of little things that we must introduce into the, reintroduce into the lives of our children that will keep them in touch with God, that will remind them here and there suddenly in life like a beautiful memory uh, that they have been called to be Christians, that they have been baptized, and that Jesus loves them. Now, Pope Paul, speaking about popular devotion or practices, he says, um, they manifest a thirst for God. You know, they manifest a thirst for God, which only the poor and the simple can know. So many poor people with the rosary in their hands, looking at the crucifix hanging, poor little crucifix in their poor homes, uh, these people, uh, this shows a thirst for God, which they know. And it makes people capable, the Pope says, it makes people capable of generosity and sacrifice even to the point of heroism. There is a question of bearing witness, when it is a question of bearing witness to belief. Uh, it goes on, Pope Francis then says, journeying together to shrines, Gome and so on, and taking part in other manifestations of popular devotion, also by taking one's children or inviting others, is in itself an evangelizing, evangelizing gesture. And I remember in Coxstead and so on, people taking a cross or a statue of Our Lady from home to home. Each home offered hospitality to a special cross or a rosary for a day or a night and led devotions. What an impact it had on the people. Now, the Pope, God, Pope Francis goes on to say... Um, Especially for the poor, I think of the steadfast faith of those mothers tending their sick children, who, though perhaps barely familiar with the articles of the creed, cling to a rosary, 
or of all the hope poured into a candle lighted in a humble home with a prayer for help from Mary, or in the gaze of tender love directed to Jesus crucified. No one who loves God's holy people will view these actions as the expression of a purely human search for the divine. They are the manifestation of a theological life nourished by the working of the Holy Spirit who has been poured into our hearts. Look at that. It's these little simple gestures of looking at Jesus crucified, praying the rosary, lighting a candle, building a little altar, putting up a, a, a Catholic calendar in, in your room. These are these show that there is a life of faith in the heart of these people. Uh, and that's coming from the Holy Spirit which has come into their hearts. And finally, the Pope goes on to say, say Pope Francis, underlying popular piety as a fruit of the inculturated gospel. Now in Africa here people are to their singing and dancing and their response to the faith they are inculturating the gospel in their own particular way and it's of huge importance in, in actively evangelizing the people. Uh, we must not underestimate that. To do so would be to fail to recognize the work of the Holy Spirit. Instead we are all called to promote and strengthen it in order to deepen the never-ending process of enculturation. Expressions of popular piety and devotion have much to teach us. For those who are capable of reading them, they are a theological locus or place which demands our attention, especially at a time when we are looking to the new evangelization. So in other words, these practices of devotion are really an expression of faith. They're an, a, a blossoming and flowering of the Holy Spirit touching the hearts of a people in their deepest humanity and at the very heart of their culture. So let us and let our priests too all become involved in this you know, uh, and uh, exercise, you know, holy water, um, laying hands on people, oil that we use sometimes, uh, candles, incense, clothes, and so on, dance and song. These, let us take them very seriously. They are the people reaching out to God and being embraced by God. So, Trulela che colelam tangengekasi, si cobekes half past five, siamlindela of Father Emil, no cosa che evening prayer, sia bonca colon colocula benani, si so bonana, gia getem, aingeviche zain o bagizo, tangana babania bishop in the bishop's executive board meeting, colon gevik elandalai elizai, si so bacona footy, sia bonca colon. Good night, everyone. Radio Brimitas, the good news.